warm welcome to First Move. Fantastic to have you with us this Thursday and another busy hour coming up, including a missile barrage. Russia launching its largest wave of rocket strikes against Ukraine in weeks. At least 11 people have lost their lives, many more injured. Key infrastructure was targeted <coughs> too. All of this as the fate of the city in Bakhmut continues to hang in the balance. We will be live for you in Kyiv with the latest. And the physical scars from war are clear for all to see. But what about the mental and the psychological scars inflicted on both soldiers and civilians over the past year? Well, now someone's trying to do something to help. A new national mental health centre has opened in Lviv. It provides support to those who are suffering from conditions like PTSD, for example. It's the brainchild of Andy Kurtzig, the CEO of US-based tech startup Just Answer. He has workers in Ukraine. He's been on the show before and he's been providing all sorts of support since the war began. He'll join us later on in the show to discuss the launch of this facility. In the meantime, back here in the United States, Wall Street set for a pretty flat open, as you can see there. Europe softer on continued uncertainty over the direction of global interest rates, or the degree at least, rather than the direction. Fed Chair Jay Powell saying in congressional testimony on Wednesday that the jury's still out on the size even of the next Federal Reserve rate hike. Well, tomorrow's U.S. jobs report will certainly provide some answers. Until then, I think we can expect choppy and some uncertainty, risk-averse, let's call it that, trading action. And brand new evidence that Americans are increasingly feeling stretched by continued high prices. Cities CFO saying more consumers are struggling to pay their credit card debt. Unpaid balances are rising. City also expecting loan losses to increase. Plenty more on all of that coming up on the show. But first, a new player entering the global chip wars. Europe's biggest producer of advanced chip making technology has joined the United States in its ongoing standoff with China. The Netherlands says it will block the export of advanced chip printing machines. Beijing voicing its opposition. We firmly oppose the Dutch side's administrative restrictions on normal economic and trade exchanges between Chinese and Dutch companies. We have made representations to the Dutch side. Anna Stewart is on the story for us. I didn't see a mention of ASML, which is a monster chip maker in the Netherlands, which is clearly going to bear the brunt of this. Talk to us about the decision from the Netherlands and whether or not ASML has, has responded. What does it mean for them? Well, I mean, China wasn't mentioned either, frankly, but of course, it's no stretch to imagine that this will impact sales of chip manufacturing and machinery and technology to that market. Given the background, we've already had similar measures from the US and ASML, which isn't just sort of the leading chip maker in the Netherlands, but also Europe. It's the biggest tech company, in fact, in Europe, and it makes the machines that are critical to making uh, semiconductors. It actually is the lithography, so the printing of transistors onto silicon bases. What was interesting, I thought, was actually the response that we had from ASML, who said that they don't have all the details that they would like in terms of what the trade ministry is suggesting here, but they expect these measures, they say, uh, not to have a material impact on their financial outlook for 2023 or for their longer-term scenarios, which is interesting because they have sold some $8 billion worth of advanced machinery to China. One of their biggest customers, for instance, is Samsung, and they make a lot uh, of chips in China in that market. So then you wonder, well, is that because the restrictions being introduced here aren't as big, perhaps, as many would have thought? ASML believes it will only impact their second most advanced chip machinery. Um, they already don't sell their most advanced to China. 
So then you wonder, well, how big an impact will this really have? Does this restriction have teeth? Well, looking at that response from China, it feels like it does. But perhaps that's more to do with the growing alliance of countries taking the strategy than just this response from the Netherlands. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to ask you next, because I think there's a, an understanding perhaps that um, America is discussing, could we call leaning on certain countries to, to follow suit after the decision that they took late last year. The Japanese, we could mention the South Koreans. I sense a degree of disquiet, I think, from certain quarters over the implications of this. Yeah, certainly. And the U.S. restrictions in October were far broader, sweeping Mm. restrictions on any kind of U.S. technology or software uh, used anywhere in the world to create a chip that would end up in China. So much broader restrictions there. They have had interest clearly from the Netherlands in joining, at least in part, uh, with this sort of strategy. Uh, We're expecting perhaps to see something similar announced by Japan. But South Korea, which is a major player when it comes to semiconductors, um, don't seem to be on board at all. If, if anything, they're actually not just not supporting it, they're actually opposing it, saying it's not good for business, for chip makers, and they don't believe it will be good for the US either. So how far an impact this will have will depend how many countries actually support this alliance, because it could be very damaging to some of the US chip makers and the sort of companies that are based around that technology in the US if they are the most extreme of the alliance. Yeah, great points. Anna Stewart, great to have you with us on that story. Thank you. And the U.S. Defense Secretary has expressed concern about violence in the West Bank on a visit to Israel to meet the Prime Minister and Defense Minister. That's according to a senior U.S. official. Lloyd Austin's schedule was impacted too by protests over the Israeli government's plan to overhaul the judicial system, with demonstrators blocking a main road to the airport on a so-called day of disruption. Hadis Gold is in Tel Aviv. Hadis, I believe the meeting as well was uh, repositioned due to some of those protests too. But I think the underlying message is the violence that we're seeing distracting or at least challenging their ability to work together on, on other regional issues like Iran. Yeah, the Pentagon saying that the Israelis essentially asked the U.S. Defense Secretary to move his meetings back and change the locations because of this day of disruption that was planned by protesters who are not protesting the Defense Secretary. They're protesting the Benjamin Netanyahu's government's planned massive judicial overhaul that would essentially allow the politicians in the Israeli parliament to overturn Supreme Court decisions with a simple majority. But because of those protests, which for the first time also took place at Israel's main airport, I've been airport just outside of Tel Aviv. His meetings were essentially all done at a complex just off of the airport. He's actually, as we speak, wrapping up a meeting with the Israeli Defense uh, Minister after meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. But that road along the airport, we were there earlier today. Uh, Protesters were essentially just driving their cars incredibly slowly, uh, honking their horns, waving flags, essentially causing passengers to have to get out of their own cars or their taxis and drag their suitcases by foot up into the terminal. Uh, Some of the people there included former fighter jet pilots who said that they essentially wouldn't serve uh, for a government that they believed did not uphold democracy. And that's what they believe these judicial reforms would do. Uh, Whereas Benjamin Netanyahu and his government thinks these judicial reforms are necessary to rebalance the government. We are now in Tel Aviv, where earlier today, protesters also completely blocked the main highway in Tel Aviv, the Ayalon Highway. We saw thousands of protesters on this main highway. It's a six-lane highway on both sides. Uh, They were eventually moved off by both mounted uh, and border police who essentially squeezed them off of the highway. Uh, But of course, for the U.S. Defense Secretary, most of his 
concentration during his meetings is about what's been happening in the West Bank in recent weeks. As you've noted, the levels of violence that we've been seeing and just overnight we've had uh, three more Palestinian uh, suspected militants killed by Israeli forces. And his message to the Israelis essentially saying all of this that's been happening in the West Bank, uh, the, the increased levels of violence, that is a distraction from what really matters. And what really matters is Iran and the strategic threat posed by Iran, essentially trying to tell the Israelis we need to really work on calming the situation in the West Bank so they can focus on what is a bigger threat to uh, to Israel and to the region. Uh, but we should be hearing from the Defense Secretary at a press conference in the coming probably few minutes, half an hour perhaps. Hopefully we'll hear more about exactly what they discuss there. Julia. Yeah, and we'll continue to follow that. Hadas, for now, thank you so much for that. Now on to a massive missile attack across Ukraine. Russia launched more than 80 missiles at major Ukrainian cities overnight, targeting residential buildings and critical infrastructure. That, according to President Zelensky, at least 11 people lost their lives. And the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia, one of Europe's largest, was disconnected temporarily from the power grid for safety reasons. We understand from the national energy company, the power supply to the plant has now been restored. Ivan Watson is in the capital, Kiev, for us. Ivan, it's a, a frightening reminder, I think, to the people there that, that nowhere is safe from these sporadic missile attacks. How are the people handling it this morning? Yeah, that is definitely one of the messages, is that at, at any day, any time, a Russian missile could explode in your neighborhood, as happened here uh, in Kiev, where, okay, fortunately nobody was killed here, but, but look, if Tom spins around, we're right next to a, a giant apartment block. So around 7 o'clock in the morning, people heard this blast that destroyed these cars here, and it shattered windows here, uh, and this will kind of anecdote will... will illustrate how Ukrainians deal with this after a year of war. Uh, I know a, a mother and a daughter, an, an adult daughter here, they still went to work uh, after this pieces of this missile crashed in here and did all this damage. Uh, there are people in the western city of Lviv who are not as fortunate who uh, were killed, at least five people there, two women and three men. The Ukrainian armed forces say at least 81 missiles were fired by land, sea, and air. They included the, uh, uh, they included Kinjal hypersonic missiles that the Ukrainians say they do not have the capacity to shoot down. Uh, they do say, the Ukrainian armed forces, that they were able to shoot down about 34 of the missiles and at least four of the Iranian-made Shahid so-called suicide drones, but there were still impacts all across the country from north to south uh, the Ukrainians say that their infrastructure, critical infrastructure, was targeted. Power plants. So uh, at least 15% of the power was knocked out in Kyiv this morning. 150,000 people without power uh, in the city of Zhytomyr. And as you pointed out, a power knocked out to the Russian-occupied Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. It has since been restored. The Russian Ministry of Defense has claimed responsibility for this attack calling it retaliation for what Moscow claims was a terrorist attack on March 2nd in the city of Bryansk, a Russian region. Uh, but we've never been able to confirm what exactly happened on that day, and the Ukrainians have not claimed responsibility. It was for a shadowy incident that took place there. Take a listen to what a spokesperson for Ukraine's armed forces has to say about this uh, missile attack. 
As you can see, the attack is really large scale, and for the first time, using such different types of missiles. We see that this time as many as six Kinzal were used. This is an attack like I don't remember seeing before. Different types of aircraft were used, strategic, long-range, MiG-31. There were 81 missile launches. There were X-22, which we can't shoot down. We can't shoot down the Kinzal either. So, just I want to bring one important bit of context home here. While this is terrifying and frightening for people, there's a supermarket across the street that's open. Its shelves are stocked. The Domino's Pizza next to that is working. People here are coming and going from school, from home. So as terrifying as this reality is for them, life is very much going on, certainly here in the Ukrainian capital. Julia? Ivan, it has a numbing effect, doesn't it? Even just hearing about Zaporizhia and the nuclear power plant, it's almost like we've heard it so many times now. We don't have the same level of fear as we as we did initially. Um, important that we don't get numbed to the violence that we're seeing. Um, thank you for being there and reporting on it. Ivan Watson. Okay, on to President Biden, set to deliver his annual budget proposal to Congress later today. An inspirational, aspirational, sorry, document in normal times. Even more of a legislative wish list this year ahead of the 2024 elections. A fresh salvo, too, in the bruising debt ceiling battle with the Republicans. Call it a case, perhaps, of political positioning versus legislative reality. If I can get my words out, MJ Lee is in Washington for us. MJ, MJ, great to have you with us. It's funny, it's being portrayed in the media already as uh, dead on arrival and more of a 2024 campaign document rather than anything else. Um, But when it relies on tax hikes into an economic slowdown, um, it could be right policy at the wrong time. What are we expecting today? Yeah, big day here at the White House. We do expect the full details of President Biden's budget to come out in the next couple of hours. But let me lay out for you some of the major components of this budget that we already know about and have reported on. We know that the president is going to call for a cut in the federal deficit by some three trillion dollars over the course of 10 years. Uh, This is in part significant because in recent weeks he had actually been talking about a figure that is closer to two trillion. So clearly uh, making a more aggressive effort there than was expected. Uh, We also know that he wants to get these cuts to in part come from uh, taxing high earners and large corporations. He has said, though, that there will not be a tax increase for anybody that is making less than $400,000. We also know that he wants to allow Medicare to uh, negotiate more on drug prices and that the savings from that would go directly back into the Medicare program. Uh, There's another component of this that the president will be focusing a lot on and that is uh, expanding access to childcare and early education, including free preschool for all four-year-olds across the country, and expanding tax credits for businesses that do offer childcare benefits uh, for their workers. But as you were just laying out there, we, ju- we should be really clear that this is not a budget that is expected to become law in any way. It is not going to go anywhere on Capitol Hill, particularly if you consider the fact that the House of Representatives uh, is now controlled by Republicans. But what we basically have is a political blueprint coming from the president and the Democratic Party as they really gear up to 
uh, set up these political contrasts with their Republican colleagues on all of the issues that we just talked about. And if you want to get a clear sense of just what a political exercise all of this is, uh, it's notable that the president will be traveling to the important political swing state of Pennsylvania to roll all of this out. Uh, We very much expect that speech to have uh, political and even campaign vibes. Uh, Again, just going to show that, yes, the budget is important. It is an important way uh, for the president and his political party to sort of lay out their own priorities, their agenda, and all of this, uh, remember, coming here in the U.S. uh, ahead of what we expect to be a pretty tense back and forth between the president and the Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy as they try to figure out how to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, Obviously, there's not been uh, a lot of progress made on that front yet, but we do know that this is going to be a very big political battle here in Washington, D.C. in the coming months. Yeah, this document certainly sets the tone. Thank you for that, MJ Lee. Okay, coming up on First Move, answering the call. How the U.S. tech firm Just Answer is helping people in Ukraine. And coming up too, how AI, artificial intelligence, is being used to transform movie making by manipulating mouth movements. We'll explain. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. I was just about to show you a video, actually, of a conversation that I had around this time last year. And it was the CEO of Just Answer, Andy Kurtzig, and his daughter, Jamie, talking to us last year about their decision to travel to the Ukrainian border during spring break to deliver medical supplies and help refugees. I'll see if I can find that because it's worth seeing. Just Answer is an online on-demand platform where people can ask experts questions across a variety of fields. The San Francisco-based firm has around 700 employees around the world, including 300 in Ukraine. It's been helping the country since the war began and built a medical facility in the western city of Lviv to treat Ukrainians suffering from PTSD and other mental health conditions. And I'm pleased to say Andy joins us now from the Mental Health Center in Lviv, one of the cities struck by a deadly Russian missile attack today. Andy, great to have you back on the show. I'm so sad because I had a video of you and your daughter during spring break to show my viewers and just make the contrast that there you are once again back in Ukraine trying to help. Um, We have much to discuss. Tell me how last night was, first and foremost. Are you okay? Is your team okay? Yeah, my team is okay. The the air raid alarms went off at about 2.30 in the morning and we're going till about 6.30 in the morning. So spent four hours in the in a in a bomb shelter is trying to stay safe and, and the missiles did land uh, very near here in this in this area the Lviv area what were people saying killed to you five people yeah what were people saying to you because i think and i was making the point earlier on the show that there's a in a strange way a danger of becoming immunized or numb because it's it's so frequent the, the fear for people there but you know you're based in the united states this is this is a rare occurrence for you um you know, how did you feel? You know, mostly just tired and scared. Um, this is rough. I mean, I'm here for, you know, brief periods of time. This is my third trip since the war started. But, you know, my team is here every single day dealing with these air raid sirens every single day. And it just takes a toll. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about the PTSD and the things that this mental health center is treating. But, but just imagine getting woken up every second, third night, getting interrupted every time you're trying to get something done, having to worry about a bomb falling in your lap, 
but that's daily life here. Yeah, I mean, that, that was sort of the direction I was headed in, to, to your point. The physical scars we see, the, the mental impact of this on, on children, on civilians, even on those that are fighting at the front. And I know you've also suffered personal loss at Just Answer with, with one of your employees being lost as well, a, a fighter in the war. Um, Andy, all of this combining to your decision to make the decision to, to launch this mental health facility. Just just talk us through that decision and, and how it's working, because I know it's been a few months now. It has. It's early in the war. We're just looking for opportunities to make an impact and, and things that, that others weren't focusing on, others weren't helping with. And, and one of the needs we expected to see was just an increase in the, 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 the mental health problems, PTSD at the top of the list, but even traumatic brain injuries from from battle as well as just you know, the daily life of dealing with this stress and trauma, even if you're not in the front lines. And we saw that was going to lead to a huge surge in mental health issues. And so we decided to, to build a mental health center from the ground up and have done that. It's a beautiful mental health center. I'm here in the art therapy room right now, but uh, it's uh, set up. It's about 5,000 square foot facility, 26 full-time staff and serving uh, it's at about 40,000 patients a year, sessions a year um, in this facility, all for either free or very, very discounted prices. Yeah, I was going to ask you where you were, the art therapy room. Um, good to know. I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the facilities are free or were free for, for three months and then they're being subsidized. So they're cheaper than, than you would get in terms of services elsewhere. How is the financing of this working, Andy? Yeah, so we basically funded the entire thing, got it up and running, uh, helped build the, the whole facility, and then we handed the keys over to the Lviv Hospital. Uh, we also set up training through the uh, Yale PTSD professionals to train the, the psycho psychologists and psychiatrists here, and then you know now it's off and running, being managed by the, the, the Lviv Hospital here. Do you have online facilities as well? Because it sort of plays to, to your strengths at Just Answer, which, as I mentioned in the introduction, is about being able on demand online to, to ask questions on any sphere. Do you have an online component too for perhaps people that can't access the facility in Lviv? They do, both, both, both digital online as well as face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Okay. Incredible work that you're doing, not the only work that you're doing, and, and also very relevant for the attacks that we saw overnight. Talk to me about the Sky Project and yeah. what you're doing to, to help facilitate this. My understanding of this is it's the equivalent Ukrainian Iron Dome to, to try and protect against these missile strikes. Mm -hmm. Yes, one of the other early opportunities that we saw, you know, obviously the Ukrainian people have been begging for, for supplies from the rest of the world in order to help defend against these incoming missiles from Russia. Just this morning, Russia sent 181 missiles, of which several landed here in this region where I am. And it's tough to intercept those missiles. And especially early on in the war, they had an old Soviet-era system to try to intercept these missiles. And they were just missing with their, their, their old antiquated technologies. And so uh, uh, several groups, including us, got together and funded both new computers, new software, new networking gear, and we're able to upgrade all those computers, just the computer systems alone on that old system in order to make them just much faster. And since then, they've been able to intercept 40% more 
more missiles, so 40% more successful at intercepting those missiles just from doing IT-related stuff. Yeah. Now, of course, they're finally starting to get Patriot missiles and, and the things that, that, that they've been hoping for, but that saved countless lives, including possibly my own and one of my other trips here. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and is the government involved in that too? They are, they are. Of course, the government was, was trying to get you know the, the good stuff, the Patriot missiles and such, and was kind of trying to, to make their way as best as they can. So we worked with the, the Lviv uh, military um, uh, general, as well as uh, several other organizations, including some organizations in Japan that had some of the technology that was needed. Andy, why do this? I remember having the conversation with you and I, and I do think it's important for people to understand that you do have a huge part of your business there and, and Ukrainian workers. You also lived for a time, you and your, your wife in Ukraine. But I do think at a time when, particularly in the United States, there's some discussion about the provision of ongoing, at least at this level, funding to, to the war effort. Why do this? And what's your message to those that perhaps don't understand, even as they see images on the television of of what the Ukrainian people are going through, what, what would you have them understand? So I think it's important to understand that, that this is a, a, a wonderful country with wonderful people and, and they just want freedom and democracy and independence and, and opportunity like we in the United States get to, and the, and the rest of the world, and most of the rest of the world get to, to have every single day. And Russia is just brutally trying to take that away from them. and, and uh, you know, it's just not right, it's not fair, and, and they deserve that opportunity. And so, you know, we've got lots of friends and connections as well as my staff here that, that we made when, when my, my wife and, and three children that you met, uh, two of uh, last April, you know, these are wonderful, smart, fun, get things done, funny, interesting people that just, uh, just want opportunity. And so I'm so proud to be able to help and, and, uh, and, and, and make that happen for them and try to yeah. help them win normal lives, doing normal things and all disrupted and all changed overnight. Um, Andy, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you and um, best wishes to, to your family as well. I'm sorry that I couldn't show the video because you do have fantastic children as well. Um, we'll reconvene soon and talk more. Andy Kurtzig there, the CEO of Just Answer. Thank you and stay safe. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Okay, coming up after the break. Next time you hear a recorded voice, how can you be sure it's really them? Our reporter, Donny Sullivan, tried to fool his own family with deep fake AI. Here's how they reacted next. Welcome back to First Move and welcome to a new artificial intelligence tool which can be used to impersonate your voice. Now, while there are plenty of fun ways to use the software, including spoofing family members, as you'll soon see, it does raise some concerning questions about the ability to manufacture fake videos easily. Donny O'Sullivan uncovered the software and he joins us now. Donny, this is fascinating. I do, I do feel like we need to watch the video and then come back and discuss this because I, don't think, I think people have to watch you laughing and interacting <laughs> with your parents to really understand the power of this. <laughs> yes, Julia, you would think my parents have suffered enough, but we are putting them through more torture here. <laughs> uh, look, this is obviously a, a serious uh, issue there. This has potential really uh, big consequences, but we wanted to show you just how powerful uh, this technology is uh, through my parents. Take a look. Hello? 
Hi, Mom. Hi, Oni. How are you? Does my voice sound different to you? Yeah, I just said that to Sinead. I said, Oni sounds so American. This is not actually me. This is a voice made by computer. Oh, my God. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. There has been an explosion in fake audio and voices being generated through artificial intelligence technology. This is an AI cloned version of Walter White's voice. This is an AI cloned version of Leonardo DiCaprio's voice. All you need is a couple of minutes recording of anyone's voice and you can make it seem like they have said just about anything, even Anderson Cooper. We've come here to UC Berkeley today to talk to Hanny Fareed, a digital forensic expert, about just how easy it is to put words into other people's mouths. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> sure. But it's also really scary. I think once you put aside that gee whiz factor, I don't think it takes a long time to look at the risks. This is Wolf Blitzer. Hanny Fareed, you are in the Situation Room. That sounds, that's, that's good. Pretty, yeah, that sounds that's pretty good. good. By uploading just a few minutes of me and some of my colleagues' voices to an AI audio service, I was able to create some convincing fakes, including this one of Anderson Cooper. Donnie O'Sullivan is a real piece of shit. That's AI. Is it really? That's AI. That's good. Yeah, Anderson is really good. Man. Because Anderson doesn't have a stupid Irish accent. The technology did struggle with my Irish accent, but we decided to put it to the ultimate test with my parents. I am about to try call my mom back in Ireland and see if I can trick her with this voice. Yeah. I think I'm going to be successful. I'm nervous. I'm like, my hands are. <laughs> All right. Hello? Hi, Mom. Hi, Donnie. How are you? Just finished shooting our story here. I'm going to the airport in a while. There seems to be a delay in the phone, Donnie. Can I say a quick hello to Dad? Yep. Hi, Donnie. Hi, Dad. How are you, Dad? How are you? Good yourself? Just finished shooting our story here. I'm going to the airport in a while. How are you? Oh, you come back. You come back again, everyone. Are Kerry playing this weekend? Yeah, playing Kerry on Sunday. My dad went on to have a conversation with the AI Donny about how Kerry, our home football team, had a game that weekend. Eventually, I had to come clean. Dad, I'll give you a call better later on. Could you just put me back on to mom for a second? My parents knew something was off, but ultimately they still fell for it. Oh, yeah, some of the don't be bad, but it was like um, it was like your voice was a little tone lower and it sounded very serious. Yeah. Like you had something serious to say. Because you... I went, oh, geez, my heart was hopping first. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, the voice was very funny. <laughs> the voice was very funny, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. I'll, I'll call you later, Dad. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is not classic. The mom is like, something's wrong with my son. The dad's like, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to close out today's ceremony with a question. If you were given a choice, would you choose to have unlimited bacon but no more video games? With fake Biden and Trump recordings going viral online, Fareed says this could be something to be wary of going into the 2024 election. When we enter this world where anything can be fake, any image, any audio, any video, any piece of text, nothing has to be real. We have what's called the liar's dividend, which is anybody can deny reality. With a flood of new AI tools releasing online, he says companies developing this powerful technology need to think of its potential negative effects. There is no online and offline world. There's one world, 
and it's fully integrated. When things happen on the internet, they have real implications for individuals, for communities, for societies, for democracies. And I don't think we as a field have fully come to grips with our responsibility here. <laughs> Solomon's back with the stage. That's the third time I've watched that. And again, I'm crying with laughter. I mean, there's all sorts of serious things we should discuss. But what did your mum think you were going to say when you were being so I know. serious? <laughs> I, I, who only knows? I, look, yeah, I think I think my parents are never going to believe um, me when I <laughs> call them again. Is this really uh, you, Donny? Is this really Donny? <laughs> Um, but look, <laughs> clearly it's it struggled quite a bit there with my accent, as you could see. Um, but when it came to Anderson's and also Wolf's uh, voice, good. it did it quite quite convincingly. Um, look, as Hanny Fareed, the expert in that piece there, mentioned, uh, this is all uh, a bit of fun, uh, but it's not hard to see how this can mm. go badly very quickly, especially as we go in, you know, to the 2024 election here in the US and, of course, many other elections around the world. Think about the role that audio and tapes and leaked tapes play uh, in political campaigns. Um, and of course, you know, not to mention scams and other types of fraud that can be done through this as well. Uh, so watch out, <laughs> brace, your, uh, brace yourselves for this. And um, yeah, if you have a terrible son like me, uh, you might just be getting a call like that. I was trying to school my face while you were talking about serious things again, and I was just <laughs> struggling. I, my parents put me on loudspeaker, so when you did that sentence repetition between the two of them, my parents would have gone, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> It's just great. Very serious. Clearly, Thanks, Julia. Very good. Thank you. Tony is 11 there. Fun. Okay, we're going to talk more about this, though. This is the good news. After the break, mouth manipulation, another use for artificial intelligence and audio, making actors appear to speak in foreign languages. C'est amusant, monsieur. Non, au contraire. C'est tragique. Avez-vous réponse à ça? Incroyable! There are huge implications for the movie industry and beyond. We're going to discuss next. Welcome back to First Move. We've all seen movies dubbed from or into foreign languages where the lips don't exactly match up with the dubbed dialogue. Check out this clip from the US series Breaking Bad in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Artificial intelligence can now make lip sync issues a thing of the past by manipulating an actor's mouth and facial expressions to actually match those re-recorded words. Not only that, it can also be used to scrub bad language from the screen as well. This is the trailer of the Lionsgate release of a movie called Fall. It was released last year. The actors dropped uh, one or two swear words, but the distributor wanted a PG-13 release. So artificial intelligence was used to change the actor's lips to match a re-recorded and watered-down audio track and also add foreign language versions. Just watch this and you'll see what I mean. The first version has bleeped those profanities. Now we're stuck on this stupid tower in the middle of nowhere. And I don't blame you. And now we're stuck on this stupid... Stuck on this stupid freaking tower in the middle of freaking nowhere. And it's all my fault. Wow. So Scott Mann is the co-founder and co-CEO of Flawless, which pioneered the technology. Scott, I've been so excited to talk to you since I first 
read an article about what you do. Um, you're also a, a producer and a director, so you understand perfectly the problems that you were trying to solve. Just explain, what was the click moment and uh, how the technology works? Uh, well, for me, I, I think uh, having directed films and, and seeing, uh, well, being part of the experience of the care we take when we direct and make movies as, as a film community as a whole, really, like not just the director, but the actors, everyone who's involved in that. It's a very delicate process. And I think uh, uh, really what uh, sent me on this journey was was seeing my own film. Uh, from called Heist uh, uh, with uh, Robert De Niro and Jeffrey mm -hmm. D. Morgan uh, that I'd made. I saw it dubbed in a foreign language, and that's when I realized how bad dubbing really is. Um, in the dubbing, uh, dubbing of old, the, the only process that we really had for the last 100 years, it changes the script, it changes the performance, uh, it loses the immersion, and it's, and it's very much uh, very damaging uh, to, to the, the film experience, really. Yeah, basically all your hard work and the actor and actress's yeah. hard work was completely massacred by by the dubbing process. I'm a huge fan of foreign language mm. films, but I never listen to the dubbing. I, I read the subtitles. So you have to be in the yeah. right mood. Um, how does the yeah. process actually work? Because we talked about mouth manipulation and we were sort of seeing that yeah. in that clip that we showed where suddenly that the mouth of the actress was saying different words and not swearing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, in the simplest terms, it, it, it's using generative AI. So if you think of generative AI as we know it, uh, text-based generative AI would be in the kind of chat GPT area. Image-based is some of the stuff you might see with stability and, and image generation. Uh, what we do at Flawless is, is, uh, is generative video, generative movies. And so it's what it's doing is it's doing deep learning understanding of uh, of the uh, human face and and understanding it to such a level that it's able to uh, re-render out different outputs uh, at, where you can change the actual synchronicity of the words but retain all the emotional performance. So it's it's quite under the hood, it's quite sophisticated. Um, from a point of view of filmmaking, it's doing this after the film is completed. So at the point in which you finish your uh, version, your home language version that you'd be very proud of, uh, uh, that's when the technology is really. Yeah, I mean, this takes a movie that is perhaps niche as a foreign language to a big distributor mm. like a Netflix or, before I get fired, an yeah. HBO Max or a Prime, Amazon Prime, <laughs> and it makes it global. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, the, the truth is we, we've been making films and, and watching films uh, uh, and telling those stories almost at, at, at a local level for the last right. 100 years. Like we, we, We're not making global films yet, and this is the first time when uh, we're going to be able to do that. So it's uh, it's really taking what, what would have, say, in English-speaking uh, countries had a limit of, say, 400 million potential audience members. You're widening it out to... The full like close to a billion population mm. of the earth and so i think i think it's changing uh, the landscape of film distribution and and i think that inherently will change the way i as a director would go about telling a story because i'd be more aware of different cultures and diversities that uh, that you're making a film for you're not just making it for a primary audience anymore so i think it's going to in the long term it's going to have a huge impact on how we share and tell stories in a very positive yeah. way I mean, this is a visual thing as well, primarily mm. a visual thing. But I, I wanted you to watch Donia Sullivan, my colleague's um, video with the yeah. voice manipulation. And some of it, obviously, the yeah. Anderson Cooper swearing, 
wasn't him, worked incredibly well. Other <laughs> parts it? of it, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's always the swear words. Um, other parts of it didn't work so well. I just wondered in, in terms of what you're seeing today versus how quickly you think that perhaps this could save time even not bringing the actors back to re-record things if you have to do it in post-production. You can literally fake it all because you've yeah. got hours of their voice. Well, yeah, I think I think a lot of that comes down to uh, going about this the right way. So I think what we've done here at Flaws, we're a film filmmaking company, and we're filmmakers um, um, uh, really building out uh, and, and using these technologies and tools. And I think we've approached it from um, from the right standpoint because I think artistic rights and protecting those artistic rights is as important as the technology uh-huh. piece of this. And there's a lot of responsibility uh, uh, in terms of using. The tools the right way and, and and really intersecting and working with the stakeholders as it were like the actors and directors and writers and everyone who has an impact of these these tools who can get benefit from the tools uh, really bringing them into that that central conversation we've done a lot of that here um by proactively reaching out to guilds and unions this kind of thing and i think from a from a responsibility point of view um it's really about it's really about consent you know like so some of the clips you had in your piece there uh generating say dicaprio's voice you know he hasn't given his consent to that and that's a big problem does need that layer of regulation um and i think the film films in general have worked in that kind of trusted environment for a long time you know so so there's a lot of sensitive material that goes into a movie and the handling of how um uh, different say an actor's performance how a director is kind of custodian to that and and everyone there's 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 already kind of um pieces there that that are a good uh, foundation <laughs> for how to handle this stuff but i think yeah, yeah it, it really needs consent from those involved I can I can understand, and certainly the perspective that I've read in articles about this is that the actors and actresses might be up in arms at the idea that perhaps it negates some of the work they do. But I sort of flip it round and say, you have to get their permission in order, perhaps even to manipulate their face and the images that we well, see of their faces. So, yeah. so it sort of gives them more power, perhaps not less, at least in certain respects. Well, I think, yeah. yeah, I think they're right. I think I think there's a huge benefit, uh, certainly for act. Like, I, I think with the case of of, of uh, vubbing, as we call it here, right? I think the the big benefit there is it's a broken process previously where the performance is yeah. destroyed. So offering something that does an authentic uh, performance, an authentic translation, is uh, is, is a huge huge benefit to those involved. And and I think I think translation of movies is quite a clean case as well because everyone's entered into something to tell a central story and, and to do, and given permissions to do so so it's kind of it's a uh it doesn't go into any of the edge cases that that you're highlighting uh in your piece so i think Mm. but but again i think it's about it's about benefit as well it's not about taking away jobs as such it's kind of these are in my mind there's a lot of uh this this generative ai is probably the biggest change to the film industry since the invention of the camera it's like it's going to be huge across across the way we make movies distribute movies the way we tell stories um, and I think that it can be a benefit to all the people involved, uh, done in the right way. And I think in the case of actors, uh, in you know, in terms of they should, again, be given the choice of what they'd like to do. Would they like to go to the studio? Would they like to uh, do yeah. another way? Or, or that's the choice for them, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, just make sure that you um, negotiate in your contract to cut off the distribution <laughs> benefits. <laughs> and that, that will... Um, assuage those concerns perhaps quite quickly um scott you well, said it well, so- you know there is yeah that's there's a truth in that and that, that really yeah. films 
they're all filmmakers. The, the, the great, you know, we want a wider audience for many, many reasons. Like, I of think course. the widest audience. And that's really the mission here at Flawless is to widen the audience for films. I'm going to be shouted out because I've got about a minute left. So you have to make a quick one on that. But you said it like this is going to be more transformative or equally transformative as the advent of the um, the camera, which I mean, wow, yeah. th- this is why we're here and able yeah. to create these things in the first place. Fast forward five yeah. years. What is it? Yes. What is it going to mean as a, as a movie maker? Never mind the distribu- distribution because we've talked about I that. Think, yeah. uh, I think uh, it's going to mean that. Um, I, I will go about making a film differently from here on in, uh, knowing the tools available. Um, I think what it really means is, is uh, telling, considering how you're telling the stories, I'd be starting from the ground up, I'd be writing a different story, I'd be directing a different story, I'd be casting things differently, I'd be going about the process creatively differently. Um, but I think really what it, what it really means by having a wider audience, I think we have the uh, potential to really bring back some of the mid uh, mid-budget movies they're called in Hollywood which is where the originality comes from yeah. and you kind of have to a, a, an environment to make those movies again and, and the way to make those movies again in my opinion is you you have groundbreaking tools that allow you to make kind of bigger movies more easily but uh, but also the, the the increasing audience means there's an affordability factor where absolutely um, it, it so so I, I think it's actually the way for me it represents a way to save kind of Hollywood and filmmaking community in general uh, of, of, and get back into original storytelling. Yeah, it, well, it's a dramatic change in the, the cost, the economics mm-hmm. of, of movie making. Scott, I'm being told off. I'm always told off, but I've, now I've really Thanks pushed it. Up. Thank you. Great to chat to you. Scott Thank Mann, you. co-founder and co-CEO yeah. of Flawless. Great to chat. It's exciting. You Thank too. You. We're back after this. Finally, on First Move, a vitally important story for you today. It's sashimi shenanigans and perhaps tempura terrorism. Stick with me. Police in Japan arresting three people for taking part in pranks at a sushi conveyor belt restaurant. One of them allegedly put his mouth on the spout of a soy sauce dispenser. Some sushi restaurants in Japan have been dealing with these kind of pranks where perpetrators film themselves licking soy sauce bottles or teacups or touching food with licked fingers. It's believed to be the first arrest in this saga. Sushi shenanigans. Throw away the key, I say. That's it for the show. If you've missed any of our interviews today, they will be on my Twitter and Instagram pages. Search for at CNN. Connect the world with Becky Anderson. It's up next. I'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.